Jean Laurent, Monceau de Bugulon. I'm actually pretty sure that's relatively correct, so I'm not apologizing for my pronunciation this week. I've been thinking for a couple of days about whether I wanted to start this episode talking about the author, the main character, or the setting. Because each option is striking in its own way, but sometimes it's important to do things in a certain order. Uh, and I decided that talking about the setting first is important here. So the entirety of this book takes place in the streets and taverns and shops of Amsterdam. And when I think of Amsterdam, I think of people biking around, colorful buildings, and that unique Dutch architecture. Generally an idyllic place, but Jean Laurent's Amsterdam is completely different. Uh, in the first couple of pages, there's a description of it, and I'm going to read an excerpt describing Jean Laurent's Amsterdam. A landscape of infinite melancholy, that of warehouse keys with pavements hardened by ice, with its irregular constructions blackened by smoke and dust of steamers, and a melancholy further aggravated by the solitude of the pontoons and docks. In the distance, extending for league after league, was the sea of was the sea the color of hemp and pewter, a shifting sea stirred by an eternal bitter wind that made it alternatively gray and yellow, but always livid. On the horizon, there was the garden of Tolui with its leafless trees. Three months of residence before that monotonous sea, and the soul shriveled by ennui is ripe for the worst debauches. For me, this was the first passage where I was like eyes lighting up. I'm going to like this book, and I don't even know what it's about yet. That's That kind of writing is my favorite. I'm hooked right away. If you're going to go the heavy, heavy imagery, descriptive route, that's the way to do it right off the bat. Um, but as it turns out, the setting, Amsterdam, is not so idyllic. It's more macabre than anything else, and it's a setting of a horror movie, it seems like. Icy pavements, smoke, steam, bitter wind... The leafless tree reminds me of Halloween, the gray, monotonous sea. I feel like if I were a vampire, this would be my choice residence, this version of Amsterdam. It's mysterious and ghastly, and the story is narrated by these two French tourists who are vacationing on Amsterdam, believe it or not. And on account of the setting, they grow very bored pretty quickly, um, and they get kind of sad uh, until the main star of the show arrives, Monsieur de Bigulon. And the tourists, they're in some type of bar, restaurant that caters to, like, French tourists. And I think they're being solicited by prostitutes, low-end prostitutes, in this dive bar when Bougoulin shows up. And he is so distinct that I have to turn—I know I just read a passage, but I have to turn to the book uh, and quote the book in order to describe him accurately. He opened the door very wide with the single thrust and stood on the threshold, waiting— what an entrance! The man who presents himself thus surely has genius. Belted at the waist in a long, tubular frock coat, his shoulders broad and his torso thin, an enormous top hat tilted to one side, a brawler he was, with the frightful cudgel he was holding in his hand, a figure already seen elsewhere and all the more unforgettable for it. The frock coat was green, and what a threadbare green! The gator-strapped trousers were twisted like a corkscrew over fine, cambered, and polished boots, but gaping at the heel. His red woolen muffler, very long around the neck, was a much-darned rag, ragged and hold, but as such, with his old captain's face, painted and plastered, 
his bloodshot and charcoal black eyes with his toothless mouth beneath a waxed mustache. This ragamuffin was a great lord. That marionette personified a race. That clown was a soul. So imagine being bored in this phantasmal land of ghosts and mist and smoke, and you're in this terrible dive bar, and all of a sudden the door is thrust open and this guy walks in with crazy, ornate, colorful clothes and a waxed mustache, and he's caked with makeup. That alone would make my day if I were in this type of place. And the way he acts, it's like at once he doesn't give any fucks, but he also gives all the fucks. He just treats people however he wants, uh, and he just does whatever he wants whenever he wants to. But at the same time, he's also very deliberate about the way he dresses and the way he looks in general and the way he speaks. So the premise of the book is that Bougalon befriends these two tourists um, vacationing from France, and they're immediately awestruck by him because he speaks with this uh, in their words, declamatory tone and aristocratic phraseology. And Bougoulin offers to be their Amsterdam tour guide, but and most of the book is just dialogue from Monsieur de Bougoulin. And it's, it's a treat to read because the language is so unique and beautiful. It's hard to believe that this book was written over 100 years ago. It just holds up super well, and it's the most fun book that I've read uh, in a while. I think it translates well from French into English, or at least the translator did a good job uh, holding the poetic qualities that Laurent wrote with. And some of my favorite passages I've ever read are in this book. It's just so fun to read. I'm impressed by Laurent. Uh, it just aged super well. And before I continue with the plot, uh, I want to talk about Laurent himself because he's not that famous. Uh, well, he's not famous at all, really, among English readers, uh, from what I can gather online. And this book, I didn't know this when I started reading this, but the book was just translated into English this year, in 2020, and it was written in 1897, I think, a long time ago. So I hope this book, I haven't read any of his other stuff, but I hope this book and his other work catches some wind, because I'd like to get the bandwagon started. Here I am bandwagoning a guy from the 1800s. I don't know if that really counts. Uh, but I do recommend this book especially for people, readers, who like flamboyant displays of literature and eccentric characters. But in real life, Laurent himself was an eccentric character, probably not as eccentric as our protagonist here, but there's definitely a resemblance. He wrote a ton of short stories. Uh, I just got some in the mail. I'm going to be re reading them in the near future. But he was also a literary critic, and apparently he was pretty brutal about it. He was a part of the decadent literary movement, and he was a known homosexual, and being in the spotlight as a gay man in Europe in the 1800s obviously means something totally different than what it does today. And I expect uh, he caught some backlash for that, especially because he wrote apparently scathing critiques, but apparently him and Marcel Proust got in a duel, like a legit walk 10 paces, turn around, shoot your pistol duel, because Laurent accused Proust of being gay in one of his critiques, so... You have two gay guys in a duel because one of them accused the other one of being gay. And fortunately, both guys missed their shot and no one died or anything. But if you're a, a literature buff, you know that Proust uh, went on to write In Search of Lost Time and Laurent went on to write Monsieur de Bougoulin, thank God. He's also in, like this avid, crazy ether drinker, which probably gave him that manic drive that he uses to write some of his stuff. But eventually, uh, the ether killed him. 
And I read that they dug up his grave semi-recently, and like even though it was 90 years after he died, it still just reeked of ether. So, you know, he lived a fast and crazy life. But you see some of the uh, his homoerotic nature tra- translated over to uh, the character of Bugulam because uh, a major part of the plot, he never says it explicitly, but Bugulam was basically in love with this guy named Mansour de Mortimer who got exiled to Amsterdam and Bugulam followed him there. And that's why he's in Amsterdam in the first place. But Mortimer dies and Bugulam holds on very fondly to uh, the memory of his lover, friend, whatever you want to call it. And he says that he walks the street with his his specter, his ghost. Uh, and that is a central theme of the book. It's probably the central theme of the book, in my eyes, is nostalgia. And Bugulan himself is this relic of an older age of aristocrats and aristocratic lofty language, French fops, and he doesn't really belong anywhere in the world. Um, and definitely not in France. The times have, have passed him. So he takes these tourists to all these unknown, underground places and tells them all these insane, colorful stories from his life. And I wish I could just read all of them here. I would do it, but this is not an e-book. Um, it's a podcast. But he takes them to museums, and uh, one of the first, I think it might be the first place he took them was to a museum, and he took them underground to like the secret display, which turns into the boudoir of the dead. I won't tell you how, but it does. And he tells stories about people's pet monkeys and divine healing creams containing essence of mummy. <laughs> These totally exotic and otherworldly stories. And he tells them all in his signature aristocratic prose. And it's awesome. It's like literally fun to read. And if you've ever seen a movie, I have a couple of personal favorites like this, but you've ever seen a movie or even a show where there's like one character who just makes the entire movie. They steal every scene and without them, you might as well not have made the movie. And sometimes it's not even the main character in this case, of course it is, but there's someone who's just like, you're singularly fascinated by the character. You don't even care about what's going on as long as the characters in the scene. Uh, that's what you have here with Bugulam. Um, and you and you have to read it to understand this, and you should read it. But he's a, he's also obsessed with things like little relics, trinkets from his past, and he pours so so much of his passion and emotion into it. And there's this one scene or passage where he recalls this jarred, like a pineapple in a jar that he found long ago when he was shopping with aforementioned Mansour de Mortimer. Um, and it's like my favorite passage. One of my favorites of the book. But before I read it, it's time for my drink. That's right. I'm having it mid-episode this time. I'm not saving it for the end. Um, so in the book, Monsieur de Mortimer and the, uh, the two tourists are always drinking this drink, which I had never heard of. It's called Shidam, which is, I, after I did my research, it's just like gin that they used to make in Holland. Apparently, they're very famous for their gin and their windmills and stuff. But... uh they're drinking Shidam. Um, so that's what I had today. I went and got some uh, Kettle One, which is actually a company based out of a town called Shidam. <laughs> so the drink is named after the actual town that it's from in the Netherlands. Um, but in true Monsieur de Bougulon fashion, I've decided that one ingredient is not enough. And I'm going to dress her up and make her fancy just like uh, he is in his clothes and his 
his speech. So I went online. I found a recipe for it's called Shidam Swizzle. And this is my first time having this. It's actually my first time having any kind of swizzle. But uh, it's kettle one, lemon juice, strawberry cocktail syrup, uh, muddled with little parts of mint leaves, garnished with mint leaves, stirred with a cinnamon swizzle stick, and then I sprinkled some cinnamon like on the, on the lip of the glass. Uh, and she's fancy. I wish you could see it. And I actually made an Instagram for the podcast at books plus booze i'm gonna post a picture there because it's <laughs> kind of fruity looking uh but i'm gonna read this because this next passage about the pineapple is a little bit long but it's awesome and full of cool imagery so i'm gonna have this for a refresher in between okay so here is bugulan talking about this jarred pineapple he saw and bought like who knows decades ago the soul of Atala is a pineapple, Messieurs. A pineapple bathing in its juice, a pineapple in a jar of preserves. But what a pineapple, what a jar, and what juice. When we discovered it, Monsieur de Mortimer and I, in the shop window of a merchant of comestibles on the dam, we were suddenly inundated with light in the depths of our souls. It was radiant, that jar, like monstrous emerald in which a fruit with golden palms was fixed. That pineapple, Messieurs, was the depths of the sea. Vertiginous in Glaucus, it contained the whole Atlantic, Messieurs, and the whole Pacific, and all of the Indies, and America, too. It was I know not what transparent and green visions, steeped and shadowed and sunlit, a vision re-remembered through algae, the reflections of masts and rigging, moving algae, sunken rigging and lost reflections, the depths of the sea, as I've already told you. All the dolors, all the regrets of projected departures, aborted dreams, Unslaked joys also floated in that jar. Nostalgic and mysterious, it was a place of dreams haunted by specters and wrecks. There were very ancient shipwrecks within it and phantoms of dead amours. The leaves of the pineapple like slow green pendulums and the pineapple itself, grimacing and fixed behind the walls of glass, were animated there, becoming in the shadows as many strange beings whose motionless life was disquieting. An abyss that jar, Messieurs, and better than that, the abysm. The abysm in its undulating and green-tinted nightmare. The abysm imprisoned in walls of glass in the soul of voyages, the soul of distant lands, that of the distant America and Indies, the soul of Java, Sumatra, and the fortunate islands, the isles that one never attains, captive with the gulf and the apparent banality of a pickle jar. All the sublime invitation of voyage, all of Baudelaire and a grocer's display. This drink is awesome, by the way. Obviously, if it contains more than like 10 ingredients, it better be pretty good. <laughs> but I knew as soon as I read that passage, I was like, I am going to put this on the podcast. I'm going to have to read on the podcast. For some reason, I'm so drawn to any art or literature that encapsulates the mythos of the sea. So I love this, and the language is so cool to me. Uh, him talk, comparing the soul of the pineapple to the soul of you know the sea and sailing. I just think that's so cool. Uh, but the passage is a perfect reflection of this book, in my opinion, because it has everything. The beautiful language. You can you can almost hear the personality of Bugulan as he's describing this, you know, jar of pineapple. But there's also the ideas of nostalgia and longing half flamboyant, half tragic, and probably romanticizing the past, but 
It's also an apt metaphor for Bugulan as a character. If you think of him as the glorious and bright pineapple, and uh, Amsterdam is the banal pickle jar that it's in. They're like peacocks trapped in iron cages, and it's just this cool dichotomy, this cool juxtaposition that like, kind of makes the book itself cool. And there are many other objects like this that Bugulam praises, like the pineapple, and he holds on to them as relics of the past, and he drowns himself in these relics almost, and drowns himself in his past life, and he predicts that this deep, depressing nostalgia uh, will, be the death of, will be the death of him. His drink is very sweet, as you can probably imagine, but would drink again. Uh, so I want to talk about the ending, kind of need to talk about the ending actually, which is not the craziest ending in the world or anything, but I want to talk about it. So, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I guess if you don't want to hear the ending, uh, but you can know the ending of this book and, and still enjoy the book if you want to keep listening. So if you want to keep listening, if you don't, I'll stop for a second here and let you pause and come back later after you've read it. But at the ending, uh, so you know, Bugulan tours him around, and then their stay is over, and they kind of part, and Bugulan says, like, uh, this was great, but I'll probably never see you guys again, and I don't want to return to France, because sometimes uh, you return to something you loved, and it's turned into something totally different, and it's heartbreaking, so he doesn't want to return to France, he doesn't want to go home, he parts ways with the tourists, and everything's great. But they miss their train, uh, they have to stay another day, and they decide, well, you know, Amsterdam's not the same without getting toured around by Bugulon, so we're just going to go to this shitty dive bar for sailors where everyone is dirty and stuff, and it's like packed shoulder to shoulder. They get there, people are dancing, and they it's just a shitty dive bar, basically, but on stage, there's two people playing music, and one of them has like an eye patch on. It's a guy playing violin, and the other person is a woman playing the harp. And they're watching, and they're just watching the band, and then they eventually they realize that the man is Bugulan. But Bugulan had told them all along that he can't hang out with them at night because he has to go entertain this aristocratic woman, and they play cards and you know drink fancy drinks, and she loves him and this stuff. But now they find out he was going to dive bars and playing music, and that's what he does. And they ascertain that everything Bugulan had told them all along about his aristocratic lifestyle and everything was basically a lie. And uh, Bugulan sees them, and they make eye contact, and Bugulan just keeps playing, but he slowly closes his one eye that's not under the eye patch. And that's it. That's the end. And him closing the eye, it's like, a curtain closing, a curtain closing on the book and also on his facade. Like it's, it's like he knows that they know that everything was a lie, and it's like he closes his eyes, and that's it. That's a wrap. And it left me with the question, what is more tragic, uh, longing for something that you actually used to have or longing for something that never was? For me, I'd rather long for something I used to have because at least at some point I had it. And it's better to have had than to never have had at all. So that's the tragic end to Monsieur de Bougulon. Bougulong, get it? Bougulon, 9.5 out of 10. Can't say enough good things about it. 
Uh, next episode is the last episode of part one, and I'll announce at the end of that episode what part two is going to be. Some tunes for your time. I'm only ever happy in hindsight. I only want what's not in store.